Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, and I'm the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to do something that I think is really important. In this sermon, I'm preaching on Jesus appearing to someone after he died and came back to life, and how that appearance changed the person's life forever. While I hope that all of my sermons are impactful, I think that this one can be particularly valuable because it shows how belief in Jesus, his death and resurrection, can change lives. It can bring peace from our inner struggles, reconciliation with our enemies, forgiveness from our guilt, purpose that goes beyond our circumstances and our lives, and life that goes beyond death. It brings hope to the hopeless, forgiveness to the guilty, and worship to the doubter. It's a big deal. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Can you think of someone that needs what belief in Jesus, his death and resurrection has to offer and share it with them? I know that that is kind of a big request, but belief in Jesus changed my life in such a wonderful and profound way, and I want others to have that same experience. I hope you're the same. I think, or at least hope, that this sermon can be used by God to make that happen. So please share it with someone. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I also hope it will be used by God to change the life of someone you know. There's a bike on the stage. I'll just acknowledge it. It will matter later because I know you won't listen to anything I say if I don't say something about the bike. But we'll, we'll come back to the bike in a little bit. Uh, I want to start with this, this words from this old hymn that some of you will know. Uh, it's been important to me through the years. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus says the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neat the healing cleansing flood. Yes, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that thou art with me, wilt be with me to the end. And what I want out of this sermon today is for us to trust Jesus or to trust Jesus more because it is amazing to trust in Jesus. I, I understand that for most of you who are here, most who are watching online, there's a point in life where you came to believe in Jesus, but belief in Jesus is not a one-time event. It's something that should be an active part of our lives. And so today I want to encourage you to trust or believe in Jesus more. Uh, now, as some of you have not ever come to believe in Jesus, I would want to encourage you through this sermon today to believe in Jesus for the first time. Um, but no matter where you are, the point of this sermon, I'll cut right to the chase, is, is that I want you to believe in Jesus. And I want you to do that um, for a lot of reasons. But one, it's because that's exactly why this passage was written. In fact, uh, if you don't know, we've been working our way through the book of John since last October. It's a gospel that's in the New Testament. It tells the story of Jesus' life in a thematic way, and we've worked our way almost to the end, and, and what's cool is that actually today's passage is, is somewhat of a conclusion to the book. It's not the end of the book, but it's a conclusion to the book, and then some would say that what follows in the next chapter is like an appendix that tells of a couple of more stories centered on Jesus appearing 
after the resurrection. One author, author said this, these 20 chapters of John are a masterpiece of literary construction. They are artistically designed like a symphony, yet pointedly focused, simplistically worded for the reader, yet intensely complex in meaning, and dramatically engaging in the stories, yet very deliberate in the speech presentation. The gospel is a marvel of inspired writing. At the beginning, I told you that this book is, is a book of layers and depth, and uh, lots of people have compared it to an onion, which is, to me, not a great illustration, but, uh, but it's an illustration nonetheless. It's not a great illustration because when you keep peeling an onion, you just find the same thing over and over. It's just more onion. But here, as you peel back the layers of the book of John, you see more and more, and the richness and depth of your understanding of Jesus grows as, as you understand this book better. And so today we come to the point of the book, and it's a passage that I have read over and over and over, at least I've alluded to it over and over and over again since October, because it's the, it's the main verse of the whole book. It tells you why this book, this letter called John, why the author is writing it. And here is what verse 30 of John chapter 20 says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, <clears throat> which are not recorded in this book. Now, it's important to remember <clears throat> excuse me, the context of this. We talked about here last week, this story about a guy named Thomas who had not seen the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus when the rest of Jesus' followers had. It, Jesus had come to a bunch of his disciples in a room, shown up. They'd been offered to be able to look at his hands and his feet where he had been you know, crucified. And, and, and Thomas wasn't there. He was out doing whatever. We don't know. And then Jesus comes back and he meets Thomas and Thomas has already said, I will not believe unless I can look at the wounds in his hand and his feet. And then Jesus shows up and he's like, you can if you want to. And Thomas believes and he makes this climactic statement. It's like one of the high points of the gospel. It's one of the high points of the Bible. He says, my Lord and my God. It's this statement about worship. In John 20, 29, we read this. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this verse, this first verse that we were gonna look at today, it flows from that idea. Blessed are the people who have not seen but yet chosen to believe in Jesus, that have chosen to trust in Jesus. It seems to be that the author is basically saying, since that is true, then I want you to know what I'm about to say in the next verse. He says that these things have been written so that you might believe. If you're blessed by believing when you haven't seen, and most of us won't see, then these things I want you to know, the author is saying, have been written so that you will believe. My daughter and I talked about this the other day, and She's six coming up on seven and she's like, I've never seen Jesus in real life. And I said, you probably won't, right? And, and what do you say to a kid? Like, she was like, well, I think I will. I was like, well, I hope, let me know about it, you know? But, but like, I don't think you probably will actually see the literal of Jesus. I think you'll sense his presence. I think you'll know his presence. I think you'll experience his presence. But I, I don't think you'll probably see him. And so how then do I say to my daughter who's six or seven, believe anyway? 
And that's exactly what John has in mind when he writes these verses that we are looking at. But we'll get to that more in a second. First, in this verse, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Signs are a huge deal in this book. If you've been around with us through the last several months, then you know that signs are everywhere. There are, for example, the seven key signs recorded in this book. It's one of the major themes. There's seven signs that point to who Jesus is. He changes water into wine at a wedding. He heals a royal official's son. He heals a paralyzed man in the pool of Bethsaida. He feeds 5,000 plus women and children. He walks on water. He heals a man born blind. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Chapters two through 12 are just driven by all of these signs that Jesus did while he walked the earth, signs that are there, written down to point you to the fact that you should believe and trust in this Jesus guy. John chapter 2, 23, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. John 3, 2, no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. John 6, 2, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. John 7, 31, still many in the crowd believed him and they said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? John 9, 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. John eleven forty seven. 47, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. The way John records the story of Jesus' life for us is driven in large part by all of these incredible, miraculous, supernatural things that Jesus did. And he doesn't call them miracles because they're not things that Jesus did just for fun or, you know, whatever. They're things that Jesus did in order to show who Jesus is, who he is. And John tells us these things in order that you might come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah the son of God. In John 21, 25, last verse of this entire gospel, it says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. This author wants you to know that Jesus did a whole bunch of signs, that there were signs proving that he was no mere man, that there were signs proving that he was the Messiah, that there were signs proving that he was the Son of God, there were signs proving that he is the Savior, the one who can save you. Now, I think that as you read this, there's like, it's, I just, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm kind of amazed at how flippant people are about Jesus and whether or not to believe in Jesus based on all of these signs. And again, and I say this almost every week as I talk about the book of John, this is, this is, not, like, this is not like some you know, random guy who didn't know Jesus and was just trying to stir up controversy or whatever. This is like a guy who, who knew Jesus, who hung out with Jesus, who was friends with Jesus, who followed Jesus, who served with Jesus, who ministered with Jesus, who, who was there when Jesus died, who, who, who saw the resurrected Jesus. But this is not like just some random guy. This is a, a, an eyewitness of these signs, and he writes them down in this book. There's other guys who do it too. And again, I said this last week, but I think it's so important. If they didn't believe all of these signs, if they were making it all up, then it would have been ridiculous for them to have suffered what they suffered to have died 
for this lie that they made up. And so I am under the conviction that we should take these signs seriously. And we should at least, at least, ask the question, what's up with this Jesus guy? I'm amazed at how quickly, not every person who doesn't believe in Jesus isn't a Christian does this, but so many do. They just dismiss Jesus out of hand without any thought, without any consideration, without reading the story of his life. And I'm convicted that when we read these signs in the book of John, it should make every person pause and just ask, wait a minute, could it be that he really was who he said he was? Could it be that this is true, that Jesus is the one who has come to set things right, the one who came from heaven to set things right? You know, I think it's, <laughs> Jesus is a swear word for most people. Isn't that true? I mean, that's, that's probably, you know, if you're not in a church setting, the, the name Jesus is used probably more frequently as a swear word than probably, you know, anything else, at least in the American culture. And to me, this has always been a, um, a source of strength for my faith, actually, because, because it, seems, it seems evil to me that a man who, what we know about him was that he loved people and served people and cared for people and healed people and died for people. A man that lived such an incredible life, even if you take out all of the supernatural things from his life, the man that lived such an incredible life would become just a swear word. What's up with that? And I think when we read through the book of John, which we've almost gone all the way through in our church, when you read through it and you see all of these signs, it should compel every single person to at least consider whether they are going to believe in Jesus or not. Believe in Jesus for the salvation from their sins. The next verse says, but these are written the signs that he has written down, the things he's chosen to put in this book, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There were lots of signs, so many signs that, you know, make a library if you wrote about everything that Jesus did in his life. But the things that John put into this book, he put into this book so that, that you and I and all of us might believe. This is the purpose statement of the entire book, and it's important because uh, it shows us the book of John was not written to be some like, you know, academic, just history book that was meant to be dissected and studied. It was a book that was written in order to compel people, to draw people to a belief in Jesus. It was written so that you might Believe, that you might believe. And I want to point out again that it says here where these signs were done, in the presence of Jesus' disciples. There were eyewitnesses. There were a lot of eyewitnesses to these things, in fact, but the eyewitnesses and the, the secondhand eyewitnesses that we have wrote these gospels down, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I think they're trustworthy because, because they come from firsthand experiences but all of that is for the purpose of us believing in Jesus. Gary Borscher says, nothing less than genuine believing that issues in life transformation will satisfy the evangelist goal for writing this gospel. D.A. Carson says, to expound in detail each word and phrase would be to 
expound the book. The connection of Jesus, the Messiah, and the Son of God uh, makes, makes the Messiah you know, a bigger deal than even the Jewish people knew. And let me back up and explain that to you. The, the Jewish people, the Israelite people, they longed for a day when God would send someone that they referred to as the Messiah, that God would send someone to make things right for them. Now, the Bible, the Old Testament, before Jesus came, it told us that actually that, that Messiah, that Christ, would set things right for all people, would give all people the opportunity to be in relationship with God, to be connected to God. But for the Jewish people, they were just primarily focused on themselves. And over time, what happened is that they saw, they believed that the way this Messiah would work, the way this Christ would work, this guy would come, he would be a king similar to David. If you know about David, he killed Goliath, that David, similar to that that guy, he'd be similar king to that guy, and he would overthrow whoever was oppressing them at the time, and he would start to rule and to reign, and he would usher in a new era in Israelite history where they had power and abundance and joy, and everything was good for them. The gospel writers come along, and Jesus comes along first, but the way they tell this story is like, well, yes, he was the Messiah, but not in the way that that Jews thought he was going to be. He came to set things right by sacrificing himself on a cross for the sins of people so that people may come into a relationship with God. Not so everything in this life will be perfect, but so that when we face whatever we face in this life, we can still be internally at peace and have hope and joy. Some of the things I've talked about over the last several weeks. And on top of that, he'll set things right for us by offering us an eternity in the presence of God, first in heaven and then on a new recreated earth that is void of death and sin and suffering and pain and all of the things that we don't like about this world. And here, he says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who's coming to set things right, and I want you to believe that he is the Son of God. It elevates the role of Messiah. They saw some guy who would be king and be great and God would send him and he'd be anointed, all those things. But what the author is telling us is that Jesus is God in human form, and that is the reason that he is the one who can set things right for you. I think we're all aware, right? Like, no matter how great a president is, no matter how great a king is, no matter how great the government is, that they can never, they will never, ultimately make things good for us. There will always be hurt and suffering and sorrow and pain and death. All of these things will still exist in our lives. But because God stepped down from heaven in the person of Jesus and died for the very sin that caused all of the things that we don't like on this earth, because of that, he can be the Messiah. He can be the Christ for all who choose to believe. He can be the one that sets things right for you. In fact, John tells us that that if we will believe this, that Jesus is God, the God, the Son of God who has come to set things right. If we will believe this, then we can have life. There's a big theme in the book of John, life. And, uh, you know, when it's just there on its own life, it's like, well, I already have a life. But that's not the picture that John paints for us. John talks about life in, in two ways, really. One comes straight from the mouth of Jesus, and that is an abundant life. But John also talks about an eternal life. I think they go hand in hand. And, and the description, especially in the book of John, is that eternal life is not something that we have when we get to heaven someday. That's not what eternal life is. 
Eternal life is something that we grasp now when we come to believe that will last forever and ever and ever. And it is characterized by abundance, not abundance in the American dream kind of way, not abundance in like a nicer house or a better car or a new job, but abundance in the satisfaction that it brings us in the here and now despite anything that we might face. There's, you know this if you've been around, but I've been, I've been doing this, um, I've been doing this podcast that I call Testimony, where I share the stories of how and why people became Christians. That's the tagline. And, and, and what has been amazing about recording these stories now, I've not put out that many, but I've recorded like nine of them. And every single person, it's just amazing to me. I didn't, I didn't expect this when I started recording, but every single person tells their story. It's not like their lives are just utterly horrible. They're not the you know, terrible jerks or whatever, but they all come to a point where they realize if there's nothing else besides this physical life, then just life isn't that good. And all of them actually say it like this, life is not really worth living. And then they come to believe in Jesus and they tell the rest of their story. Everybody does it. They spend more time on the rest of their story and they, they all talk about Trials, struggles, going backwards in their faith, but all of them realize no matter what they go through that life is just better with Jesus. It's abundant, it's eternal, it's good. And that is what this author is talking about here. This transformation that takes place in us that makes life worth living. It makes things better on the inside. It sets things right in here, even when things are bad out here. Uh, And that's what we all know. If you've been a Christian a long time, you know life has not become perfect. You you know that you long for a day when it will be perfect, when it will be awesome, when we'll dwell in the presence of God and everything will be totally right. But there is something uniquely better that, that happens inside of us when we come to believe and we trust that that will be magnified eternally, infinitely, when we go into heaven someday. And so John's purpose statement, he's like, Jesus did so many signs, but I've written these ones down because I want you to believe that Jesus is God in human form and that he came to set things right for you. And we know because we've already read it that the way he set things right is by dying for our sins and then coming back to life. It all happens in Jesus' name, which doesn't just mean you say, in Jesus' name, amen. It means in line with who Jesus is and what Jesus does. That's what it means when it says in somebody's name in the Bible, life is found through belief or faith in Jesus. Now, one of the things I find fascinating about that is zero times in the Gospel of John is the noun form of faith Used. In, in Greek, uh, th- this word, faith, is, is the same word, it's the same root word as believe. Uh, one is a verb and one is a noun. And so that's, belief is closer in line to faith when it's used in the nounal form. Uh, and, and zero times, zero times, it's a noun. 
What John seems to demonstrate throughout his gospel of belief is this active thing that we do. Now, that doesn't mean, I don't wanna like just say like, that means that you, you know, if you stop believing for one second, you're out and there goes your abundant life or anything like that. But it's an active part of our lives. And throughout, throughout our study through the book of John, I've considered what is a great illustration for, for believing in Jesus. And I've, I think I told you a few months ago that I actually had written down on my sermon like, belief illustration. I never found one, and I've just kind of pushed it off and pushed it off. And yesterday, I think I actually found one. Um, this is a bike. I told you that I would talk about it, but uh, this is my son's newish bike. Uh, so I ran into an old friend, and, and my son was trying to ride his balance bike, which, don't tell him I said this, but he's just horrible at it. Um, and uh, like I see like one-year-olds on their balance bikes. They can't even walk, and they're just cruising around. They always kind of look like that. I don't know. But, uh, but my son is not good at his balance bike. He's good at a lot of things. It's not one of them. And he's over there struggling, and we're like, dude, learn it. We'll buy you something, please. Uh, and, and we all want to be able to go on bike rides now. We, we bought some bikes at a garage sale. My, um, my daughter learned to ride her bike about a year ago. She's getting good enough to be out on the streets now. And so, so we're all like bike rides, you know, family bike rides. This is going to be awesome. And, and there's Hudson trying to, you know, waddle on his balance bike, and it's not working. So uh, this, this old friend sees us, um, I don't know what day this was, uh, a few days ago, and says, hey, uh, like, I, my, my kid has an old bike you can have. And I'm like, oh, does it have training wheels? Maybe this is the solution. And, and she says, yeah, I think it does. And so she, she uh, goes and, um, and brings the bike over to us and we get this bike. And she didn't have training wheels actually. So yesterday, uh, we're kind of stuck around the house because my, my kids had been sick. And, and um, we decide like, let's try, me and Hazel and Hudson, let's try to go on a, on a bike ride. And so I, I like, I'm gonna run to Target I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy training wheels because there's no training wheels. And Hudson is in for this plan, 100% in on the plan. Like, let's get the training wheels. I'm going on a bike ride. We'll be cruising down the highway in no time whatsoever. And, and so we go and we buy the training wheels and it takes me like 20 minutes to put them on because I'm bad at things like that. Like everybody else would have had them on in five minutes, but not this guy. Uh, and so we get the training wheels on and my son, 100% sold on the idea that this training wheel thing is going to work out for him. He's ready to go. And then we try to go on a bike ride. And there, it, it was horrible. It was a horrible experience <laughs> because my son thought that the training wheels would keep him safe and pr protect him, but he had no belief in a biblical sense that that would happen. And so he's on this bike, right? And you know how training wheels work. I don't know if you can remember this seat, not gonna work for me, but, um, but like as soon as you do this, he just pick his legs up and pick his legs up and pick his legs up. So, and then he just couldn't do it because he had no trust that these training wheels were going to work. And so we went down the road, I yelled a lot and, um, and I got a cut on my leg. It was bad, it was all bad. And I think that, I broke his seat, but, um, but I think, I think the belief in Jesus is like trusting the training wheels. I think most people, they want an abundant life. They like the idea of eternal life and they, they look and they think, wow, that would be great if I could, 
if I could just, you know, cruise down the open road of life and, and find joy and peace and hope and satisfaction and life after death. And they loved the idea, but they said, well, I can't do that. And the gospel writers, they say, well, there is a way you can do that. You can't do it on your own. You'll never learn to balance perfectly on your own, but Jesus came to die for your sins. And if you'll just trust him, then you can go. You can have this eternal life. And I think so many people, even us who are Christians, we often are like, yes, great, absolutely. I think, those, I think Jesus works. I think the training wheels works. I think he has my best interest in mind. I think he can save me. But we either, some non-Christians, refuse to get on the bike in the first place, refuse to actually place trust in Jesus for that eternal life, that abundant life. But also, I think we who are Christians, we're like Hudson. We'll get on the bike. I'm gonna be a Christian. I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna serve God. I'm gonna live for God. But whenever things get a little bit scary, we just pick up our feet and act like, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. I don't know if I can do that. Hey, hey, like that's, that's not gonna work for me, Jesus. It felt like it wobbled a little bit. And, and what John says here is that this gospel Everything that's been read to this point, if you have read through the Gospel of John, it was written so that you might believe. And there's, there's controversy here that I actually love the controversy. Some people say this was written for Christians, and other people say, well, this was written for non-Christians so that they might come to believe. One says it was written so that Christians would be encouraged to be strengthened in their belief, to trust more, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And other people say, well, it was written so that people might believe and come to Jesus in the first place. And I say, absolutely, both of those things must be true about this book. The signs that are written down in the book of John were written so that you will get on the bike for the first time. You will commit your life to Jesus. You will come to believe in him for eternal and abundant life. And these things were written down so that when you're on this ride, when you're a Christian following Jesus, you'll stop picking your feet up and you'll just keep going because you recognize that Jesus is worthy of your trust. If you're not a Christian, if you've never come to believe in Jesus as your savior, then, then come to believe in Jesus as your savior. Why? Because he did all this incredibly miraculous stuff and like so many people said during his lifetime, like, like, who is gonna do more signs than these? There's no other way that, that anybody can come along and I can trust them more for salvation because this guy has done too many things that just don't make sense. They're supernatural, they're miraculous. He has to be from God. He has to be the one who sets things right. Come to believe that. But for others of us, as we're going through life, as we're living, look at these signs and remember that Jesus can hold you up. Like, you're gonna be okay. He's not gonna let you crumble down. Like, you can keep going forward. You can serve him. You can do the stuff. Like, you know that there's things like this. Like, where you're like, I believe God wants me to do this. Like, I'm going that way. But oh no, I wobbled a little bit. And you just pick up your feet and stop going in the same direction. And this book of John, the signs that were written were written so that you might not only believe in the like first come to salvation, become a Christian sense, but also so that you might believe in the trust sense. Like I trust Jesus because I know that he can turn water into wine and he can heal from a distance and he can 
fix people's eyes who are born blind and he can walk on water and he can even bring back people from the dead. And so I will live out my belief in him. I, I know not all of you have been around for all of this, but, but I would just say, go, go read the book of John and, and believe. Believe for the first time or believe for the hundredth time, but just believe and trust Jesus because, because it is so good to trust in him. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him or and or. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. And I hope that you'll consider the book of John, you'll think about the signs that are in it, and you will find the grace to trust him or to trust him more. Let me pray that that will be true. Lord Jesus, that last refrain in that song um, is, it's so true in my life, Lord. Like, I've proved you over and over again, and you've never let me down. You've never let me fall to the ground. And God, when I look at these stories in your word, um, I mean, if you can do those things, then you can take care of me when I'm sick. You can take care of me, God, when I'm worried about finances. You can take care of me when uh, life is hard. You can take care of me. And so I just ask that for me and for other Christians, God, that we would remember that you that you can hold us up because you were the one who did more signs than could be recorded in this gospel. Let us trust you every single day. And Lord, for those who are not Christians yet, I just pray that you would work in whatever ways you work, Lord, and, and you would compel them to consider you and you draw them to yourself, Lord. And I pray that they would whether through the book of John or just, you know, anyway, anyway, Lord, draw them to you and help them to place their belief in you because you are the only place, God, where eternal life and abundant life is found. And so I pray, God, that we would believe. We would believe for our salvation or we would believe, God, uh, as we trust you and, and serve you with our lives. I pray all of these things in your name. Amen.